politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for life, liberty, and property, and culture, and all of it. And not just to fight, but to actually achieve nothing short of victory. We are all about achieving goals here at CR Podcast. It is Friday, and I wish we had like three days left. I have never had a week where I have so much in my stack I can't get to. So don't uh, criticize me if I didn't cover a story. There's just so much going on again. The 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 Fourth Reich DOJ targeting us, vaccine stuff, therapeutic stuff, remdesivir stuff, the Utah FBI raid, um, border stuff, and illegal immigration, anarcho-tyranny things. It is just nonstop January 6th. And it all just brings out the point. That there is so much to do. We don't have control of everything. But within the sphere of influence of this very robust conservative industry is the House GOP. Okay, they control the House right ahead of a budget bill. That's everything. That's all you need. And they are influenced. Kevin McCarthy is the big darling of conservative talk radio now. The red states, number two, and number three, met the Trump, right? I mean, he's the most influential voice on the right. So between those three, these issues need to be redressed. But the fundamental question is, do we even believe our own talking points? Or do we just want to make money off of them? Do we believe in our stated values? Or do we want to make money off of our values? That is the molecular form of what this all boils down to. Because you can only go on for so long with no results anywhere, and the things get worse, when you have the most robust industry we've really ever had. And they're often saying the right things. They'll talk about J6, they'll talk about the border, a lot will even talk about the vaccines. But we never make any progress, and that doesn't make any sense. Because like I'm saying, you might say, well, because Biden's president. No. They have control of the House, and they have all these red states. And yet, in election after election, in primary after primary, like we talked about with Mississippi, the same Republicans are winning. In every legislative session, we're going to talk about that later today in Tennessee, what's going on there. We have the opposite taking place. Because we only believe in talking points. You know what's interesting? Right now, among the MAGA crowd, among the conservative media circuit, Christy Nome is held in much higher regard than Ron DeSantis. I want you to think about that for a minute. Christy Nome is the epitome of why we are where where we are. She indulges the talking points, puts on the pretty face and the whole thing, you know, have her like, you know, all dressed up on a riding a horse with a lasso. Yeah, nothing like a conservative gal doing that. You know, like that whole business. And then on policy just crushes us. And then Trump is Trump is praising her as the best thing. There's some talk show host call, calling for her to be VP. And it's like she's literally all of her associates, donors, chief of staff are stealing people's land for a Chinese-backed green energy scam. 
but it's a talking point. And she's good at talking points. We just don't believe them. DeSantis is the stupid one who actually, he's like, again, an animal farm. He's like, he's like boxer. Man, this is what you guys want? Cut off the media? I'm never going to associate with them. And he, he literally ran his admin like that, and they made, they made fun out of him. So now he has to go and do interviews with the media. Oh, man, you, you, really, you really believe that uh, in, the, in this crime business? Yeah, we're, we're going to take care of it. Oh, no, no, silly goose. We didn't mean for that. Oh, you, you mean we're upset with the anti-white racism? Well, we didn't mean for you to actually create a curriculum like that. No, we're going to go and whip up all of the black Republicans to side with the college board and to side with uh, Kamala Harris over you. You know, Steve Dace mentioned this on his show yesterday, I believe. And if you haven't heard it, I'm, I'm just going to repeat it because he was, he was dying to tell me this. He was at some movie screening and there were a bunch of people there and there was actually a man who felt he's a woman no, no, a woman who felt she was a man, is a she, is like a trans activist. Okay, so you can't get farther left than that, right? And what happened was she starts ha having a friendly conversation with Steve. They, they start talking. And she says to Steve, it's probably the first time Steve has spoken to a, a trans activist, hey, um, you know, we all think, you know, you, you guys are going to wind up nominating Ron DeSantis, right? And Steve was like, what are you talking about? I mean, you know, Trump's way ahead. And she's like, well, we, we all think that, I mean, he, isn't he the fulfillment of what you all have wanted for years? She literally said that. And Steve was laughing. Like, that is so adorable that in the left's mind, because the left, okay, you know, almost all of them, not all, but almost all. They actually believe in the talking points they espouse. So when they see their political opponents or supposed political opponents, they project upon them, well, okay, you must actually believe in that, right? Like this guy's getting it done. It was like, it was such a gut punch. A trans activist saying like, yeah, obviously you want DeSantis. I mean, he's actually like doing what you, what you want. But that's if you believe in it. You know, it is shocking that we are two days into this Almost not a single conservative media figure has touched the firing of the Soros prosecutor in Florida. How monumental that is in terms of conservative governance on an issue that we all say is a problem. Meanwhile, they're all saying Soros is backing DeSantis. And it is like, you got to be kidding me. Soros' number one issue is criminal justice reform. That's his number. That's why he funded all these prosecutors. Trump made his White House a conduit for that agenda. Meaning, it's not just that the people in charge of domestic policy were jailbreakers. It's, they were in charge of all domestic policy. DeSantis is the only guy getting rid of them. And it's not a word. The in it would be a nice alliteral, alliteration, but I won't use the word, Florida delegation, to my knowledge, not a single one has commented on that from their own state. Rick Scott, the senator, was the only one, because he was a former governor, he's the only one who commented. None of the others that I could see, I don't think Rubio did, but none of the ones, all these guys, except for one or two that endorsed Trump, nothing. 
We don't believe in anything. Trump said, let's go through some of the latest news. Trump said he won't endorse the nominee. Or he won't pledge to endorse the nominee. Now, look, from my end, you know I'm not a Republican. And I have said before there are game theory times where it's actually better to have the Democrat win. And I I believe that in um, the case of the Sultan Grand Pasha Mufti Oz in Pennsylvania, the, the biggest leftist ever running for Senate, endorsed and won the primary solely because of Meta Trump. I mean, literally antithetical to anything a Trump supporter would want. And he was the most unelectable, of course, at the same time. So I, I, I said, like, yeah, I wouldn't back him in the general election. But I, I am a minority view. I am a 1% view in the primary. Nobody believes in that. I believe we need to create red lines with a lot of these red state rhinos and say, or, or swing state, you never back us. We are not going to back you. And just know you will not win a general election without us. I do believe it's time to do that. But nobody agrees with me, and I will get slaughtered, and all these Trump people, no, he's a Democrat, you got to beat the Democrat. So we are all told that the most important thing is to beat Biden, that you cannot allow Biden to get reelected. Now, I could actually see a game theory where if he gets a second term and our people are so disillusioned, Biden will only have gotten the second term because Trump is so hated, not because he has a mandate, will easily be able to take red state federalism to the next level. And finally, look outside the system or the traditional system for solutions that we need anyway. I, I, I'm not, I'm not, by the way, I'm not saying right now I would support that. I would have to see how it plays out. I'm not saying I would, but I'm just saying if it's Trump and Biden, I'd have to see what I'm seeing in Trump, what the game theory is at that time. You know, what if RFK runs third party and maybe has a chance of winning? I, I don't know. I'm not going to commit to anything. You have to be prudent at the time. But I'm just saying, that's me. But if DeSantis would come out and say, like, the Republican Party sucks, you know what? I, I don't want to sign the pledge because maybe maybe we'll start something independent. He would get slaughtered, right? Trump is like, I Trump is basically signaling he will not support the nominee. And again, what's the nominee? There's one thing if the nominee is Mike Pence. But anyone with a brain knows that on the chance it's not Trump, it would only be DeSantis. So Okay, for whatever reason, you like Trump over DeSantis, but come on, you get DeSantis as a nominee, you wouldn't support him over freaking Biden? And yet he gets away with it. It is totally fine. This was the big idolatry of the conservative industry my entire life, is just, you gotta beat the Democrat in the general election, especially in a time like this, especially Biden. And he could openly signal that he is going to cause a rebellion and you have no rebuke. Is there anything this man could do that will elicit even a minor rebuke from these people? And the answer is no, because they don't believe their own talking points. When the talking point benefits them, they'll use it. When it doesn't, they'll remain silent. They don't believe it. I want to continue along this theme before we get to Andy Roth, our special guest today. But first, our sponsor today, Policy Genius. Okay, look, it's a very uncomfortable conversation to have. We don't want to think we're going to drop dead the next day. But with all this excess death and so many people dying young, 
it's something we really do need to think about. God could call us back at any time. I'm right in that zone where I have four young kids, a wife. I'm the primary earner. Um, very few people get enough life insurance from their work. Even if you get it, you're, you rarely do you get like a million dollars, which is really what you need for a family my size at least. Nowadays, forget it with inflation. So, you know, I went went online to policygenius.com slash Daniel. And it's not an insurance company. They're an aggregator. And, you know, we all want price transparency. That's the best thing of a free market. The industries where you could look at apples to apples comparison, compare the price. That's what they do for you. So you could see exactly the terms, the coverage amount. Um, and with Policy Genius, what I've found is that you could find life insurance policies that really start at just $25, now $25, $30 for a million of coverage, which is what I was looking for. Some options offer coverage in as little as a week, and a lot of them avoid unnecessary medical exams, which are annoying. That's a big thing. Policy Genius also has licensed award-winning agents, so they have people that could guide you through it. You could call their customer service line. They don't share your, your private information. They don't harass you. Um, you get your results very quick You know to, to, to check your quotes. No wonder they have thousands of five-star reviews on Google and Trustpilot. So head over to policygenius.com slash Daniel today. Don't leave your family high and dry. Okay, so the other thing is, again, the debate. I don't understand how a man could say, I'm not going to debate, and it's all okay. Here is what I find indefensible about every one of my colleagues, and it's this. Even if for whatever reason, you're more favorable to Trump. Okay, fine, I respect that. Did some good things, it's fine. But anyone with a modicum of a brain, a modicum of belief in 5% of their stated talking points, depending on who you're talking about, for 20, 30, 40 years on the freaking air or writing columns, you would recognize two things. Number one, there is a lot of downside to Trump. Even if there's things you like, you'd have to, I mean, you can't deny all the things on policy, personnel, focus, likability, electability, that speaks to the time we're living in that might, you know, derail some of our agenda items. And conversely, you can't deny the fact that there is so much unique good in DeSantis that needs to be cultivated and modeled and certainly like, whoa, okay, that's, that's, there's something to be said there. To me, I don't care if you're 100% Trump supporter or you're 100% DeSantis supporter or somewhere in the middle. But if you share the values and concerns that we all have about the Fourth Reich, the top 10 issues, the failure of the Republican Party until now, you would be calling for a mano-a-mano debate, long form, no BS, no Doug Burgum and Chris Christie and distractions, two of them, two hours at least, just two, Moderated by a guy like, let's say, like Tucker Carlson. The most respected, universally respected guy. The two people that have the most substantial records. Because this is a primary like none other. Where whatever you think, you have two people with very, very substantial records that should inform 
what we are looking for at the time that we're living in. Never been like that before. You have a former former president, because normally if you have a former president, it means he's running for a second term, right? So then you don't even have a primary because you just, you just don't have a primary. No one's going to challenge it. But here, he's kind of like that, but he's not exactly an incumbent. He's, you know, a term out. So very substantial. And then you have the most successful conservative governor of possibly ever and taking the biggest swing state and turning it into a red bastion. So not just the most conservative, successful conservative speaking to the very issues like the corporate Republican wing and the, you know, draining the swamp and personnel and articulation, but then also showing that electoral prowess of winning over all those independent voters in Florida. I mean, don't, don't, don't tell me, oh, there's nothing to be seen there. He's of nothing. No. You should all want to hear them side by side. It is indefensible that people aren't calling for that. Yeah, I understand. If you're a Trump supporter, from a political standpoint, you would advise him, yeah, avoid DeSantis at all costs. Let DeSantis get, you know, drowned out by a 10-car pileup of the stupid RNC debate, which, by the way, was rigged on behalf of Trump by Rona McDaniel to have a threshold that every single one will meet it and you'll have 10 people on stage. Yeah, I, I understand that. But is this about Trump? This should be about all of us. You see what I'm saying? Even if you're more predisposed to stick with Trump, it would help if you believe in our cause and not just Trump. Iron sharpens iron. It would help. See, because right now, this allows this passive-aggressive nonsense that's been happening until now, where neither of them are being motivated to go to the right. That would do it. But no, they don't believe in that. They believe in what is most politically safe for them to do at the current moment. And what is the most politically safe is to broadly indulge our talking points and juice up their conservative listeners. But then, look, where's their bread buttered? Mitt the Trump. And just in general, they don't care about outcomes. And, and, and I want to keep in mind, I want you to guys to understand, if these guys were peddled to the metal on Christy Nome, on pressuring her and pressuring Bill Lee like we're going to talk about with the special session on red flag laws in Tennessee and all these dirtbag government and would have gotten involved on behalf of Chris McDaniel in Mississippi. But Trump, they're just like, ah, you know, he's different. I like him. He's done some good things. Okay, I could respect that. But it's a reflection of what they've always done. They won't use their clout against Republicans. So if you say all day, Biden's locking us up, Biden's going to kill us, Biden's doing this, we're going to die. So then you have an obligation to do something about that. And first and foremost, use your platform, which wields a lot of pressure and influence over Republicans to demand that Republicans do certain things. It's like right now, people are talking about what's going on in Utah. The FBI raid, the 75-year-old Trump supporter. Um, let, let, let's just say that the allegations are true and he you know, said some you know, threatening things to the president. All right, so that's within their, their you know, authority, Secret Service and the FBI to pay a visit and investigate. But, but as we know, they, like, they, 
they like rammed in the door and the guy's dead and they dumped his body on the street. And, you know, I don't have anything to add that you guys didn't see. I don't, I mean, I'm waiting to see more stuff, but he's 75, he's 300 pounds. How exactly was he a threat? And there is no evidence that he necessarily even had a gun. I mean, if there is, evidence has not been produced. So, you know, we are all rightfully wondering, based on everything else the FBI is doing, if this is just sending us a signal. Like, no, we're not going to shoot based on the, you know, threat level. You know, I'm very much pro-law enforcement, not second-guessing, you know, like, you know, all these cases where you have a punk on the street that reaches into his pocket, pulls out a fake gun or something. If they don't know, they fire on him. It's tragic, but it's his fault. But we don't even know that that was the case, that there was any urge to shoot here based on safety for the officer's life other than possibly it being premeditated and they just wanted to take him out. And then we have the Tucker interview. And look, I've dumped on Tucker a lot for his behavior and then his interviewing of the Tate brothers. But he did a great interview with uh, with uh, Chief Sons, the literal, the Capitol Hill, Capitol Hill police chief on January 6th. We had Tariq Johnson, the guy who, the lieutenant who evacuated the chambers on our show, saying that he believes that this was Yogananda Pittman, the deputy, the number two, working basically with all these federal law enforcement agencies, possibly military and and uh, intel as well, to have a coup against Sons and just set this up. And you watch the interview, Sons basically validates that. I mean, we're not talking about a right-wing blog. We're not talking about Julie Kelly. We're not talking about some, you know, freelance uh, MAGA guy. We're talking about the chief of Capitol Hill Police on that day. How is the Tucker interview not an immediate congressional hearing? Like, this is the type of thing that McCarthy, among the border, among many things, needs to come back. And, And just the dramatic nature of bringing the House back while Biden's on vacation, while Senate Democrats and Schumer are on vacation to command national attention, hold a hearing, and and build support for a defund bill. And why is Trump not calling for defund? Because he and McCarthy and their supporters do not believe their own talking points. You know, I, I, I saw um Don Jr., advertised on his Twitter like he was going to do a show. He now has a show. It's very profitable. right? Everyone has a show now. It was titled, Who Are the Swamp Creatures Actively Trying to Undermine My Father in the White House? And I'm thinking, are you trying to troll us? <laughs> Who are they? I'll t- they were your, your freaking brother-in-law, Jared Kushner, and your sister, Ivanka. Every last person you brought into the White House... Shut the hell up about the deep state. I'm sick of hearing about that. It was the shallow state. It was your own family appointees. You don't even have to go to the, like his cabinet picks. I'm talking about the people, not in, even in the agencies, the White House itself. It's such a self-indictment. It's the same thing like, look at Trump just beat up on Elaine Chow, Mitch McConnell, and, and uh, Chris Christie. They're only around to beat up on because you resurrected them from the dead. It's unreal. It is unreal. 
It's awful. What we're doing is not working. This is continuing. We're getting the lowest common denominator of Trump and the lowest common denominator of the existing antiquated GOP establishment. In other words, it's like it's one thing if, like, again, I agree with MAGA on a lot of things, but there's a lot of things the way they do it and what they do is off base and just, you know, not focused. But look, I'll take that any day over the established GOP. But no, instead, the two kind of reinforce each other and we get the lowest common denominator of policy outcomes and electability of both. That, that's what we're up against. And it's like, you look at DeSantis. There's a political article targeting him. They're now teaching anti-global warming videos in school. Like, Florida schools are pushing back against global warming. Like, when have you ever seen that? There's now, like, we all talk about immigration. It was like the big thing that elevated Trump. He is so implementing it now that mandatory E-Verify is raising wages in Florida. It's working. The New York Times had an article complaining, and they had this gem. Tim Conlin, president of Reliant, a roofing company in Jacksonville, said a subcontractor had recently turned down a project after his workers refused to travel to Florida, preferring to stay in Georgia and the Carolinas. Interesting, all red states. But a complete joke. By the way, South Carolina has mandatory E-Verify. So why, why are they not scared there? Because it's not enforced. But here's the money quote. He also said that hourly rates for jobs had increased about 10% since the bill was signed into law in May, two months ago. Two months ago. He's actually making a difference on that front. This is, this is a monumental event. By the way, a judge just denied a request to block Florida's law, making it a crime to drive illegals within Florida. They sued that part of the law. The judge threw it out. Talk about being fatigued um, and tired of winning. Like, do you actually want this stuff? Like, like again, the thing about it is like, look, when it was Cruz versus Trump, so I liked a lot of things about Cruz. I mean, he stood up to Mitch McConnell and called him a liar and, you know, he fought where no one else in the Senate. You know, he he really had the best and and this is when Chip Roy was his chief of staff. It kind of went downhill after that. Um, the best first term of of a senator that that we could remember. I mean, he he was fighting everything. But, you know, I could understand that people say he was more good just on the like legacy Reagan conservative issues, but on some of the more, if you want to call it populist issues that our base is concerned about to this day, he's, he's, you know, he kind of wasn't, wasn't there. Like, you know, Ted, Ted was strong on illegal immigration, but he wanted to increase all these visas. And, you know, now obviously we're concerned, not back then, but now we're all into the biomedical security state vaccines. You know, a guy like Ted won't touch the vaccines, but, I mean, DeSantis is particularly good on going after the corporate wing of the party, the, um, the obviously, the, the biomedical stuff, illegal immigration, legal immigration. He just gave a speech on that about the need to stop bringing in all these people, reducing wages. Dude, do you actually want it or not? 
remember, the left is laughing out of us. Like, hey, I thought you guys wanted this. It's like, you know, typically, the way they would think, typically the only people espousing this stuff are the wackos that can't get elected. This guy turned Florida into to a right-wing state, won by 20 points, did everything you want, and you piss on the guy. It's like the contrast between the two. Every single weakness of Trump. Okay, you might find things you like, and that's that's fair game. But every weakness that speaks to what we need. Focus, understanding policy, not getting distracted. More bite and less bark. Personnel choices. That's literally DeSantis' strength. It's almost like God has a sense of humor. Sending you a candidate that it's like, you have a hole, he's the dirt to fill it in. You have a foot, we need a shoe, here it is. At a minimum, if you're one of my colleagues that has any morsel, any shred of intellectual honesty, you would at least be more even-handed and gently rebuke Trump's turning to the left and certainly elevate and praise the good things going on in Florida and call for a debate. Oh, the moderators are going to be unfair. They're going to, I don't want some Fox. Dude, call on Tucker, Glenn Beck, whatever. I mean, pick your favorite name to moderate it. Why wouldn't you call for that? Why wouldn't you want that? I understand if you like Trump. Okay, I'm, I'm not trying to convince you out of that. But do you is is it that you just like Trump, or is it you feel that that's an avenue for things that you actually believe and want outcomes? I like DeSantis, but what I like even more is our outcomes, and my 15 year record shows that DeSantis is relatively new. I've been saying all this stuff in general about Trump. You know, long before he was ever a prospect. Before he was governor of, of, of Florida. Nothing, no concern I'm raising about Trump is like retroactive because I like DeSantis. So I'm just like Googling things to try to find. I literally lived this, spoke it, wrote it in day-to-day columns. As you well know, I cover the issues that matter to the right and our leverage points and people among Republicans and legislatures and administrations that are sabotaging us like I'm about to do with our next guest in Tennessee day to day. There's nothing I'm saying that I'm reinventing. I said it at the time, long before DeSantis came. Whereas these guys were totally cool with DeSantis until three minutes ago. Oh, Mr. Trump, now he's a dirtbag. Now I won't cover anything. And, and, and often I'll even go to the left and while he is winning civilization battles, give aid and comfort to, to our biggest enemies. They don't believe in their own talking points. The entire conservative movement is buck naked. They're exposed. You know, um, they always say that Trump, his exi- existence and his modus operandi helped expose the deep state and expose the corruption. Expose the corruption of the left. Well, by the same token, I think DeSantis's just existence and coming on the national scene has exposed the deep state of the right. But let's get to our guest. So, folks, the biggest indication 
of the fact that my colleagues and this conservative industry, which is bigger than it's ever been, doesn't believe a modicum of their own talking points is just the results of the type of Republicans who are leading the deepest red states. Because think about it. When do you ever have in a blue state, or for that matter, a purple or even red state Democrat that crosses their base on even one issue? It it, it doesn't happen. Because the minute it would happen, they'd have their head lopped off. It's just, no, we we believe in it. Wait, wait, we, we control this party? And we have someone in our, in our ship, in our domain, in our sphere of influence, not doing the right thing. Boom, you're out of here. We don't have that on our side. So you could have people that screw us on the most fundamental issues year after year. I mean, it's not like a one-off and nothing happens to them. And they could out in the open do it. And there's no greater example of my, than this than my buddy Bill Lee. Um, our, our good friend, this Tennessee governor, You know, yeah, I've been obsessed with him, and for good reason. This is a guy who once said we can't open the jail doors quickly enough. He he is for jailbreak more than the Memphis Democrats, literally. They were clamoring for tougher sentencing on violent criminals. He believes in Soros' view on crime. All right, you might think, wow, okay, so he just, you know, maybe he's just, like, doesn't want government hands off. So certainly when it comes to political targeting, and monitoring and surveilling our people, no, he'd, he'd be awesome. No. He is calling for a special session he's convened of the legislator October, uh, August 21st. Now, you might think, oh, you mean a special session because how, how, does the, how does the state deal with the FBI targeting? How do we deal with all the illegal immigration in the states? Right? There's a lot of important things. Maybe you need to spend. No, 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 no. He's doing, convening it for red flag laws. So the same guy who wants to downgrade already low sentences for repeat career violent offenders that were convicted with a you know due process 10 times greater than our founders envisioned wants to flag people at a time of political targeting of the FBI, give the FBI more info to go after you without due process. Just take the gun. I mean... Because if we think you're violent, if we have evidence, so then we have authorities. Well, why do you need a special one for guns? This is just truly unbelievable. This is a red alert. right? I can't influence Biden. My colleagues can't influence Biden. But a guy like this, Tennessee is the state that Trump improved his margin in 2020, despite sliding backwards in almost every state relative to 2016. It's a trending red state. What are we doing? So with us is the person that actually has made a living off of connecting red voters with red governance and actually trying to make red states red. Andy Roth, the um, president of the State Freedom Caucus Network, who is doing just this, exactly as I talked about. Uh, one of my favorite people, one of my favorite organizations. You could follow him at Andy Roth on Twitter. Hey, Andy, I'm really pissed off today, as you can tell. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> I'm pissed off too, Daniel. Thanks for everything you do, and thanks for having me. So I'm trying to figure out what happened. Um, this reminds me of like there were people that wanted to put a like Islamic crescent on a Flight 93 memorial. So you have a tranny that there's been a lot of cases of um, and and of people that are and I'm not going to relitigate this with you. This whole thing with 
autism and transgenderism and they target vulnerable autistic teens and then they juice them up with testosterone and that's like an explosion of violence. It's a known problem. There's studies on that. I'm going to have a column on that on Monday. Dr. Peter McCullough has, has talked about that. That's what we need to be looking into. Uh, uh, an attack on a Christian school by a tra uh, you know transgender individual and the discussion is the gun? What? Yeah, I mean, this is like the famous Rahm Emanuel quote, right? Is that you should never let a, a crisis go to waste. Um, and and another good quote is is Thomas Jefferson, which this is the the most truthful quote about government that you can get, which is that the natural progress of things is for government to gain ground and for liberty to yield. So every opportunity that government has, whether it's a red state or a blue state or whatever, they're going to try and reduce our liberties. And, and it's a power grab by the government. And that's what this is. This special session is not about how we can reduce government in our lives or how to expand our freedoms. It's all about grabbing money from the federal government. And it's all about giving the government the ability to take away our guns. And the, the, the fact that they're doing it in a special session should just create alarm bells in everybody uh, in Tennessee right now. I mean, the, the, we should be melting the phones right now, calling the state lawmakers in Tennessee, telling them no way on this, this garbage that's about to happen. Yeah, and, and Andy, I don't know if you followed Bill Lee's career so much to appreciate the perverse irony here. This is a state, as you well know, there was a lot of violence in Memphis, a lot of very notorious murders last year uh, led to a clamor for tougher. There's so many like these, you know, people, robberies and assaults and this and that and let out, violate probation, don't get put back in. And Bill Lee is all for that agenda. He's very much, whether you agree with it or not, he is very much into what they call criminal justice reform, you know, you know, decriminalization uh, on that stuff. And it's like, you know, I, I, I've, I've been told by some leaders in the Tennessee legislature they were working on a three strikes and you're out law, you know, to really tighten that where if you have a, you know, an armed robbery, an aggravated assault, a murder, that then you're going to you know, be locked up for life, which we should all agree upon that. No, th there's no urgency to deal with that. It's this. So could you describe for our listeners – what happens when you add things like mental health to the Knicks system? Isn't that going to give the FBI a bigger target list? Yeah, again, this is all about a power grab, and it's a, it's a money grab, too. I mean, what they plan to do in this special session, they are doing a number of things, and they're, they're moving the ball around to confuse voters. But at the end of the day, it's very simple. What they're trying to do is expand Medicaid uh, because they want to include mental health services. And Tennessee is one of those states that has not fully expanded Medicaid yet. So what they're trying to do ah. is drip, 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 get a little bit of coverage, get a little bit of coverage, get a little bit of coverage until, like Nikita Khrushchev says, you wake up one day and now it's full communism. And that's what's going on here is they're trying to grab money from the Biden administration to get more Medicaid coverage for so-called mental health. They're also trying to shower a bunch of subsidies on, on the hospitals to cover, quote, mental health. 
Then they're doing the red flag legislation to grab guns. I mean, all of this is a power grab. And the sickening part about this is that is that they are doing this with all of the sycophants in the legislature not fighting. They're not. I mean, there there are a handful who are fighting, but most of them don't want to step on Bill Lee's toes and make him angry because of the power he yields. So this is why we're in this situation to begin with, is that we don't have enough fighters in the legislature to say, hell no, we're not going to do this. And that is why we got to get the voters and the conservatives and the constituents and the grassroots in Tennessee to rise up and say, hell no, we're not going to do this. And I'm assuming you don't have a Freedom Caucus in the state. No, we don't. And I desperately want one. I, I mean, Tennessee is such a great state. It, it is such a red state when it comes to the voters and the and the constituents and the grassroots. They deserve one badly. But the legislature is just full of rhino Republicans. And a lot of them, frankly, are Democrats that just have an R next to their name. And part of the one of the great things that comes about when you have a state freedom caucus is that you expose that wedge when there are Tennessee freedom caucus members uh, being loud talking about the issues it forces all of the other Republicans in the legislature to pick a side do you want to side with the freedom caucus and fight with them or do you want to side with the Democrats and the rhinos and that's the beauty of of what we do and and it's proven itself in other states like South Carolina, Wyoming, Arizona, and others. And so I, I would love for it to happen in Tennessee. You know, as you're talking, I'm remembering an email conversation we had together. It must have been at least 11 years ago. <clears throat> we're working on, <laughs> you know, we, we were engaged on the same side in a, <clears throat> in a North Carolina house race, federal house race. And and I, I I remember saying this to you at the time like I give up I quit I said, I said I quit eleven years ago but here I am like I can't do this anymore and it, it's crazy in eleven years we have not solved this problem cracked this nut that I was like what do you do when campaign after campaign and this is what I'm finding they just update their talking points to broadly comport with the general angst and issues of the base at the given time what they hear on talk radio. So they actively are willing to confuse our base. It's not like, oh, no, they're like, no, we, we're sick of these extremists. We're going to take back the party on behalf of the Chamber of Commerce. Okay, so then at least you could have an open debate. No, they don't run on that. They run on our positions. We just had in Mississippi, the Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman basically said he was a greater culture warrior than Chris McDaniel, that Chris McDaniel was weak on the culture. And it's like, well, what are you supposed to do? They have more money from the industries that they get precisely – to do the opposite, but they use it to run on our issues. And here we are, Mississippi, Tennessee, South Carolina, Alabama. They're awful. And and by the way, just before you answer that, I want to make sure our, our listeners know, there's a 27 to 6 Republican majority in the Tennessee Senate and 75 to 24. Imagine having like a 75 seats in the U.S. Senate. Like that's what they have, but we don't have anything. Why? Yeah, and to your point about the establishment having money, they will always have more money than us. But the the good thing is that we have the issues on our side. And so the answer, and it's 
this simple is that we've got to inform the voters. And I think it's a huge mistake to, I mean, I, uh, l- let me put it this way. It's very expensive to directly reach out to the voters and der- to inform them. It takes a lot of money, a lot of time. What you want to do is get members of the legislature on your side because they have their own audiences, their own constituencies. And if you educate them and uh, get them on your side, then they multiply their voices uh, across uh, the entire state. And so what you want to do is organize the lawmakers so that they're fighting for you and then be very, very loud. And that means getting all the grassroots groups together. It means getting the constituents together, the county GOPs together, get them all together and have them rally around a brand they trust, which is, I believe, the Freedom Caucus. They've done it in D.C. and we've been doing it in other states. And if you do that, then no matter how much money the establishment throws at something, that it, it won't work. And I firmly believe this to be the case. Let me give you just one example. In Wyoming, our Wyoming Freedom Caucus is very similar to the situation in Tennessee. It's a deep red state, the most conservative state. Uh, Trump won Wyoming by more than any other state. In their legislature, they have, uh, 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 let me see, it was 47 to 5. 47 Republicans to five Democrats. And if you look at the actual voting records, it's 36 liberals to 26 conservatives. And the Wyoming Freedom Caucus said, we've got to fix this. So they went on a road show and they went to every county and they said, we now have a Wyoming Freedom Caucus. Uh, Pick up your pitchfork and come fight with us. And they have completely turned the tables on the establishment. They've been pulling their hair out and going nuts and we're making a change in Wyoming. And we're doing that in South Carolina and Idaho and Arizona. And we can do that in Tennessee. And I think the very first thing that needs to happen is to stop this special session. And maybe we can't stop it now because they've called for it, yep. but we got to block and tackle and flood it, the zone. Is there a way uh, to hijack to, to it? Destroy their agenda. To hijack it? Like, I don't know, you put something in there like, okay, you know, three violent felonies, you're locked up for life. Um, you know, something Bill Lee wouldn't like, actually. Is there a way to hijack it? Yeah, I mean, definitely what you need to do is just be loud and make sure that every talking point that the establishment has gets knocked down, beat down, and you got to melt the phones. You really got to call every state lawmaker and say, under no circumstances are you voting for this garbage. And the establishment is very good at this. They know exactly how to counteract this. They're going to throw in some child trafficking language into this special session to make the, the pill go down easier. They're going to try and wax poetically about how nobody's going to be taking away your guns and we're not really expanding Medicaid. They're going to do everything in their power to tell you that what they're doing is not But, but to be clear, but like I is. said before, the Tennessee, um, whatever it is, ticks, um, where, you know, the, the background check system doesn't the FBI have access to that? 
Yeah. And by the way, we saw a mental health fight play out in Georgia. Uh, and, th- and this is exactly second verse, same as the first. Uh, our Georgia Freedom Caucus fought this mental health bill uh, and they killed it. And here's what it did. It provided counseling for pedophiles. It provided um, insurance coverage for transgender surgeries. And it, yep. incurred, it in, included red flag laws. And this was being proposed by the Republican speaker. Yep. And yep. you have to ask yourself, why are they doing this? They're doing this because of money. They get more money from the federal government. They get more money from uh, big pharma and from the lobbyists and from big hospitals. And so this is all just a big power grab. And so all you have to do is get loud enough. And in Georgia, they flooded the committee hearings. They com- they flooded the the phones, the offices, and they killed it. And if you want to learn how, if you want to know how to stop this special session, that's the way to do it. You know. Oh, and let me make one yeah. more point. Well, let me make one point. The John Corden Biden gun bill that passed last year, which we're now seeing a lot mm. of uh, headlines about. Biden is now banning money for schools that provide archery and hunting programs. And it's because of that bill that Republican Senator John Cornyn signed on to. And it's that same bill that is going to provide federal funding for red flag laws in Tennessee. That's, and so it, that's what people need it. to understand. It's not so much ideologically that Republicans would be bad on guns. It's the money. It's the money and the lobbyists. They're obsessed with federal money. And that's number one. And number two, they're bought out by the healthcare system. People people don't realize how far reaching healthcare is. Like I, you know, I tell people with Christy Nome and the trainee sports stuff. I doubt Christy Nome has a rainbow flag in her house that she ideologically supports that. But it's that Sanford Health and those big conglomerates, which are the biggest employers in the states, they're overpowering red states and turning them blue. So in Tennessee, and I find this unbelievable, our medical system is a cesspool. I mean, these are the people that put known dangerous shots on people. Remdesivir, we now have a lawsuit. The federal judge ruled in favor. I forgot to mention this in Michigan. Um... A guy got a stroke after remdesivir, aside from remdesivir being inherently poison, but they actually had glass particles in a number of batches as a recall. And it's like, that's all good. And thankfully, he ruled it wasn't covered by the PrEP Act. But they push that, and then they'll push the um, castration and the hormones. It's a cash cow. It's not even ideological. It's the, the healthcare industry, which is the most powerful in these red states, usually the biggest employer, they're pushing this, and again, the irony, I know this is beyond maybe the scope of what your organization is dealing with, but what, what the legislature needs to study is the if you're going to use the covenant shooting as the impetus, which they are, so you have to d- discover what happened. And he didn't even release the manifesto, so what the heck, you're legislating based off of a case where you don't even know the case, but what we do know is there is a huge association between the rise of autism, which in itself needs to be studied where the hell that's coming from, going from 1 in Mm 10,000 to 1 in 36, according to CDC, then the concurrent rise in transgenderism, and then the fact there's a JAMA study from an NIH researcher shows that um, trannies are three to five times more likely to die of homicide or suicide. And also, there's another study from the Netherlands that 20% of all trannies in their survey 
also were diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. So there's a huge problem there with them. They're giving money to the same hospitals that are doing the testosterone juicing, which everyone knows what that does. They're giving money to the same mental health institutions that are taking people who are autistic, and again, not studying why that is increasing, um, and they're very vulnerable because, you know, if you have one mental illness and psychiatric disorder and neurological disorder, you're going to be more, you know, prone to gender dysphoria and getting roped into that, and they're like, yes, Johnny, you need some, or or, yes, Amelia, (laughs) Uh, in this case, she was, uh, what was it, Elizabeth something was her name, um, you need some some testosterone. I mean, anyone with a half a brain knows what that does, and that's it's not just terribly destructive to the individual. It is a security risk to the community when you take tens of thousands of teens and you start doing this. I again, I could get to all these studies in the prisons now with the female prisons. There's so much violence from from a lot of these people. This is all well documented. J- Journal of American Medical Association, three to five times more likely. That's what we should be studying. Has Bill Lee um, released the manifesto? No, he hasn't. And that should be a requirement. Like that needs to be the very first order of business. And back to your point about Mississippi, the reason why we failed so miserably in the elections is because Mississippi has become a de facto welfare state. Uh, Years of Haley Barber and Trent Lott have been, have turned Mississippi into just extracting as much money as they can from the federal government, whether it's through earmarks or through the healthcare system. And they have a huge healthcare crisis down there. All the rural hospitals are going bankrupt. So they're trying to consolidate them in order to get more federal money. I mean, it's, it's a broken state precisely because of the money issue. If you follow the money, you're going to follow the, the, the problems and the answers to, to how to solve this stuff. And I want to, you know, just stress this. You cannot have fiscal socialism and social conservatism. What, what, and I think nowadays everyone sees that because when you have the death of rural hospitals and the consolidation of the big university systems in the urban areas, what that does is that's a conduit. It's not just you're on the dole and it's crappy healthcare and socialism. It's they're going to push the tranny stuff. They're going to push biomedical fascism. You know, I, I, I want to just end with this. I want to get your comment because I, I think this speaks to your entire career. I want people to understand. Well, and, and, and let, let me make one point just real quick, and then I'll, I'll let you finish. That is the fatal conceit. The, the, the idea that a lawmaker can be uh, fiscally liberal and socially conservative, that is – by design, it's, they do that to uh, burnish their conservative credentials, because as long as you're pro baby and pro guns, <laughs> you're going to get reelected and nobody follows the money. If you follow the money, you will yep. start to defeat these liberals. It, it, exactly. And, and, and like we talk about all the time is when you point to the Florida model with DeSantis, it's not just that he did more conservative things than anyone. It's the way he did it and the type of issues. He's willing to punch through the identity politics, the federal funding, and the corporate interest. That's where the thing is. Like, one of the things they did is they were willing to lose um, – they they refused to enforce the vaccine mandate in the, in the National Guard 
they were willing to lose funding and have it transferred from the state guard. They didn't have to do it in the end. They called their bluff, and the feds never did it. But that's the thing. I want to get your comment on this email from Mississippi because I think this speaks to your career. There is nobody alive that I know that has more of a perspective than you. You interviewed 2,000 candidates seeking the Club for Growth endorsement when you were you know, the policy guy there and interviewing candidates – and people wanted to, you know, get their support to, you know, burnish their credentials as a conservative in a, you know, red district primary. And you would see this deceit. And and there's a, an email that just is riveting um, from Natalie. She lives in Mississippi. And she said, I'm frustrated that so many people on the outside see Mississippi as MAGA country. And the leftists and elite see us as backward when actually most of our leaders are taking us right down the path that leads to Portland, San Francisco, and New Orleans. They may not be outright leftists, but they are doing nothing except keeping their nice club together and throwing us a bone every now and again. Isn't that the truth? Yeah, it is. And and it, it does begin and end with the candidates that run for, for office, whether it's at, at the state or federal level. And when you receive their mailers, those mailers are written by the campaigns themselves. So it's not like they're giving you impartial information about the candidates involved. It's all propaganda. And so you got to throw away those mailers that are being sent by the incumbents and by the establishment Republicans. And you've got to do a little bit of work to find out the truth about these folks. And it's hard, no doubt. But that's Absolutely. that's why we need to rely on third party groups. We need to rely on grassroots groups. You, the the grassroots need to interview these candidates. They need to ask very specific, uh, direct questions. Yes. And then provide no quarter when they when they give a bad answer. Exactly. They, it's, are are it's you against important. abortion? Ain't gonna cut it. They're all gonna say they are. Exactly. That that's just not gonna do anything for you, and especially in a state like Mississippi. And this is the problem. The Haley Barbers, the Tate Reeves, Delbert Hosemans, they're not going to come to your door with the yellow hair and, you know, the, the piercings like from San Francisco. They'll ah, go to Bible school with your kids and a Bible study. And, you know, they'll, they'll throw that around. But they are in with these interests that are so antithetical to those values. And that's what's going to govern them. And again, this is why the State Freedom Caucus networks are so important, because you need a conduit of professional politicos within the legislature to draw the contrast, rally people behind good things, expose the other guys, basically take off that loincloth, that that Bible-thumping fake loincloth to cover up for their tranny agenda that's hiding under that, you know, tranny big government woke agenda that uh, whether they admit to it or not, that's where they're leading us. And get educated, but you can't sit back and just be like, but the Democrats, but that. Um, how could people get involved if they're in one of the states that, that, that you're operating in? Well, go to our website at statefreedomcaucus.org. And on, on our website, you can see a map of where our current state freedom caucuses are. We're in 11 of them. Uh, we launched uh, first with Georgia. Then we uh, went across the country, and most recently, Louisiana was our uh, most recent one. So we're excited to get into all 50 states. If you're in a state like Tennessee or a state that we're not in, 
uh, go to our website, reach out to us, and tell us how we can start having a dialogue with the most conservative members in their legislature to try to put something together. Absolutely. You're one of the few people doing great work at Andy Roth on Twitter. Uh, thanks for joining us. And thank you all for listening. We are out of time. Have a terrific weekend. We'll be back same time, same place on Monday. God bless you all. And thanks for listening. Thank you.